Hi, you all, and welcome to Romance and Color. I am one half of the duo here at Romance and Color, Tatiana. Um, and I am so glad that you all are joining us again for another installment and episode in our Romance in Color series, Writing in Color. Last week, we talked to author Terry Lay. We had an amazing conversation with Terry Lay. We talked about uh, being an indie author. We talked about uh, so much. I can't even like remember all of it and everything. Um, and we talked a lot about balancing her faith with what she wants to write, as well as her budding career as a veterinarian as well. Um, we know writing doesn't always pay the bills 100% for everyone. And so, um, yeah, she talks about balancing her life and being a uh, romance writer as well. And it was a, an amazing episode. Thank you again to Terry Lay once again. Um, I also gave you last week's watching romance recommendations of the half of it, a movie on Netflix, as well as Never Have I Ever series on Netflix, both featuring two amazing Asian-American lead actresses. And speaking of amazing Asian-American folks, this week's Writing in Color episode is featuring author Mona Schroff. Mona is a first-generation Indian-American, born and raised right outside of Philadelphia, and uh, currently she lives in Maryland. She is a full-time, well, part-time optometrist now, an empty nester who is enjoying writing now uh, more, and her debut novel, Then, Now, and Always, uh, came out in January um, we talk a lot about uh, balancing her life as an optometrist and what she wants to convey with turning notions about what Indian good Indian American girls uh, should be uh, like in her novels. So without further ado, please get into this interview with Ms. Mona Schroff. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you. Um, we're here with um, Mona Schroth, a um, writer from who's in Maryland, correct? Yes. And, and she has a debut novel out. It came out in January called This Then, Now, and Always. And first of all, I want to say when I read the kind of blurb about the book I was so intrigued because it's the first line was like Indian girls don't have babies out of wedlock and I was like oh okay <laughs> like what is, what is this book about and so um can you tell us first about your debut novel and um you know I know you're excited about it and it came out in January and kind of give us a synopsis of what it's about I don't want to give many spoilers away but Sure, sure. First of all, I want to thank you so much for having me on, Tatiana. I'm really excited about this podcast that you're doing. Thank and you. I know we discussed just a few minutes ago, like exactly what your goals were. And I think it's amazing. And thank you so much for, um, you know, giving everybody a voice. And I really, I really do appreciate that. Of course. Um, so, yeah, so my debut, Then Now Always. Um, so my Twitter pitch, um, which actually was... Um, 
my actual Twitter pitch that I did that got me my eight that, you know, sort of attracted the, my present agent's attention was just that Indian girls don't have babies out of wedlock, but Maya did. Mm. And now she has to tell Sam that their 15 year old daughter is in trouble with the law. Mm. So basically what I have here is I have um, Maya who is Indian and she's been raised by a single mother. Um, who her mom and dad were married. And when Maya was about eight years old, the dad, like the, her mom and dad, like ran away um, <clears throat> to get married because they were from different castes and different parts of India and their parents Ooh. didn't approve. So Ooh. they ran away. And then at some point, like when Maya was about eight years old, the dad got called back because his parents were sick and the dad left and never returned. So now Ooh. Maya, little Maya is with her mother being raised by this single mother. Um, and so the mother is kind of bitter now and she kind of just like puts this 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 trust of men into Maya, essentially. Wow. And like no dating and and all of that. So she kind of takes that um some of that Indian conservatism like um from like say my parents' generation who had mm-hmm. just come over mm-hmm. where we don't date, she kinda of takes it to that like next level. Okay. Um in any case, Sam is also um half Indian. His mom is Indian and okay. his dad is um non-Indian and um so when they're in their early 20s Sam and Maya fall in love so my book is told in two time zones two two timelines Mm -hmm. um you do see Maya you know on page one approaching um the school to find out that her 16 year old 15 year old daughter sorry is now in trouble and what what steps she has to take so she basically contacts Sam who doesn't even know he has a daughter to get Mm -hmm. help from him wow um and that's sort of the main timeline of our like now story and then the past is in early it's 15 years prior um the summer that they fell in love so you, you get to kind of see how they fell in love and you get to watch them um negotiate this 15 year old daughter that he doesn't know about and all of the different feelings that come along the betrayal and um you know the whys and and why she did it so you know, um, I, but that's basically the first four chapters right there. Okay. And then the story is, so he finds out within the first two or three chapters that he has his daughter. So that's not mm-hmm. the big secret um, for the book. So you basically watch these two people sort of navigate um, their child and their parents and each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it is romance, obviously, they still love each other. Um, mm-hmm. But he's engaged to somebody else. And so... Mm-hmm. And how do you overcome the feelings of, you know, having had your child, take, you know, been kept from you for all these years and, right, and that right. kind of thing. And I interspersed a little of our culture in there, a little bit of mm-hmm. food, um, and just a little bit of, you know, um, just, the, you know, the kinds of things like, you know, they always say, write what you know. And I'm, of course. I'm a girl. I was born here. Mm-hmm. You know, my came from India after they got married. and um, so, you know, my personal journey was unique to myself, so I can bring something of that to it. So that's kind of cool. cool. <laughs> so, like, so you, you touched a little bit about young Mona and growing up as a second generation, well, like, well first generation, really, uh, uh, Indian American here in the United States. So tell me a little bit about young Mona and when she got interested in in romance novels because I read a little bit of your bio and you have like this 
very kind of scientific <laughs> like, like life, you know, you're, you know, every, like I, like my friend jokes that uh, all immigrant parents want their kids to be, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know, <laughs> so. Well, and, 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 and unfortunately, and, you know, it, it, it is a little bit of a joke, but it's a little bit true um, in true. the sense that, well, it, it, it is, it is a little bit true in the sense that, you know, immigrant parents, you know, they, they, they came here, particularly my father. So my father, um, is highly intelligent, but he grew up, you know, in a, in a, in a village I, we visited it about 10 years ago. It's a dirt village, literally, mm. uh, where, you know, his, him and his brothers, you know, his way out of that was education, education, right. education, right. education, right. Um, and education and his own wits and his own ability to, you know, work hard and all that, um, that he was able to come to this country and build a life here. Mm. Um, so, you know, ever since I can remember mine and my Indian friends who were growing up with me and even other friends that I meet now, you know, our parents were very heavily into education. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the result of that education being that you would have some kind of a job that was stable, that mm -hmm. would provide you, you know, a fine life type of thing. Right, um, right. Doctors, lawyers and engineers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, um, writers don't always have jobs. Right. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. So I think, you know, even in my own personal thing, I, mean, I know you asked me about romance novels, but I can finish this thought here. My own personal thing is as a day, you know, in the, during the day, I'm an optometrist, so I'm an mm -hmm. eye doctor. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I obviously had told my parents that I wanted to write, and they said, you know, and what they said was this they were like, you can write anytime you need a job where you can sustain yourself, you know, and right. my mother was very, my mother was very, very adamant that I have a job or a career that I could support myself, that I didn't need to rely on a husband. Not right. that she didn't want me to get married, right. but if it didn't happen, are you going to be able to support yourself? Or if God forbid it happens to your husband, can you raise your children on your own? Type Absolutely. Of thing? Yeah. Right. So I think that that's part of why, you know, I went to the sciences, you know, because mm -hmm. it was a lot of kind of this is the thing to do. Mm -hmm. In my early 40s, I was like, all right, I've done that. Um, I'm very happily married. And if I I've always, always wanted to write like I've always written little poems. When I was mm -hmm. nine years old, I won like the Young Authors Contest, and, wow, okay. you know. Um, you know, I've always wanted to write. I just didn't know when it would happen. And I think in my early 40s, at some point, I was like, well, if I don't do this thing now, it'll it'll never happen. So I dove in knowing absolutely nothing. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. I just I reached out to people. I looked online. I mean, that's a whole other story in and of itself. <laughs> in terms of in terms of romance, um, you know, when I was growing up, I would read anything and everything um, that came my way. I mean, I read the back of the shampoo bottle in the bathroom, like everything <laughs> I would read. Mm -hmm. um, and so I read romance novels and I love them. And over the course of like growing up, I realized I didn't realize it until um, I, I found the writing prompt for um, then now always that what I wanted to write was romance. Mm -hmm. um, no matter what book I read, I was always really drawn to, are they going to get together? Are they yeah. going to get together? Even even Harry Potter. I am the biggest Harry Potter fan for a woman <laughs> my age. I know 
too much about Harry Potter. Um, I was always like, when is he going to get together with Ginny, for God's sake? Like, <laughs> I get it over with. <laughs> yeah, and when he finally kissed her, I literally cheered, like, out loud, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any and and I, but I love you know the fantasy hero's journey. I read a lot of science fiction. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Oh my god, with Star Trek, I was like, are are like Riker and Deanna ever gonna get together? Like, come on. Like, <laughs> yes. So yes. I, when I finally ended up, you know, it kind of like it kind of like hit me over the head, and, and all of a sudden I was like, duh. Of course, if you want to write, you're gonna write a romance novel because. Mm-hmm. That's what you love. You right. love happy ending, and um, mm-hmm. it took a little while for it to come and hit hit me over the head my, myself to figure that out. But um, so that, yeah, that's you had this like a, I'm reading your bio. And you've had like this amazing life. You're an optometrist. You're a mom. Um, you run triathlons. <laughs> you've been featured for baking. Like you've had all these like super awesome experiences. And I'm like, gosh, when does she find the time to actually say, okay, I'm gonna sit down? and write so what's your schedule like to write like to you know make between all of that to write you know um so my first book um so then now always um you know my kids were a little bit younger not really little and I was I took some classes online and everything and and when I was writing that book I wrote at soccer practice I wrote at dance practice my computer was me everywhere I took it to the all I only my I am an optometrist but I do work part-time so I don't work mm-hmm. 40 hours a week as an optometrist I work closer to 15 to 20 hours a week depending on the um but sometimes you know it's slow at the office and so I always had my computer and if it was a, you know a slow time of year where I knew there'd be like an hour gap or even like during lunch or something I was writing then mm-hmm. uh, I would sit in the car while my son you know went to soccer karate he, he did karate, and my God, karate was like two or three hours long. I wrote it. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so any time that I could find, you know, in the beginning for that book was um, was sort of whenever I could do it. In the car, driving to see my mom, who lives a couple hours away, you know. A lot of times mm-hmm. late at night, you know, mm-hmm. or early in the morning. Um, now I have a little bit more of a schedule. I'm an empty nester, and um, so there's no. I, I just have my doggy. Um, that we well, we just got the dog. She's a COVID dog. We just got her because we're home. Um, but uh, and my son, of course, is home, but he's 19, so he feeds himself and all that. So I don't have that rigorous schedule anymore. So um, I do get up early in the morning. I don't do 5 a.m. Writers Club, but I get up early in the morning with the dog, and she gets up at six, and I take her out and play with her for a little bit and I'm usually writing by seven Mm -hmm. and I do a couple of hours until the rest of the family you know kind of wakes up my husband's home right now too because of COVID and Mm -hmm. um and then we walk the dog and then I'll sit down again around you know noon or one or whatever after the other kinds of things have been done and and work again until five Mm -hmm. um so that's my schedule right now mostly because I'm not seeing patients Right. Uh, on the right. days I, on the, yeah. So when the days I see patients, I still take my computer to the office with me because you never know when it's going to be a slow time and you might have 30 minutes where you can, you know, not just write, but I read for my friends as well. I beta read and that's, and I read books too um, because you can't stop reading when you're right. writing. You have to read reading. That's how we learn. Um, 
So I do have a kind of a schedule, but then I kind of always have the things that I want with me. So mm-hmm. if there's an opportunity, I can jump on it. Okay. All right. So given that your first book is out, I know with the whole um, COVID situation and you had a like schedule of like meet and greets and stuff, I know you're like disappointed to do, you know, maybe some of those may have gotten canceled. Um, or did you go ahead and have a lot of them, the ones that did get canceled? In this kind of weird time that we're in, how have you been able to reach out to your audience without having like the meet and greets or the book signings that you like? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a great, great question. So I was really lucky. Um, I came out at the end of January Mm -hmm. and I had at least one or two events every week in February. Oh, hit kind of some of the fun things. I got to sign at Nora Roberts, which was really exciting. Oh. Um, I had a couple of panels with some friends and a, a luncheon or two, which was nice. Um, I did miss out on a couple on, on the big kind of conferences, a Polycon and Book Lovers Con. I missed out on those this year, but you know, they'll be back. Right. Um, in the meantime, what I've been doing is, um, it's interesting that you asked, but I, I did um, like a virtual book club. Mm-hmm friend of mine had wanted to do book club and we were already closed down so we did like a zoom zoom book club um, which was fun because everyone had read the book so we got to talk about my book um i i did um i just did a panel um on friday so it was a virtual panel on like um facebook live and it was actually promoting um one of my friend's books so her book just released and so we did like a mother's day theme and you know maya is a single mother and all of a single mother so we we had things to talk about there so that that was kind of um that was really nice as well mm-hmm. I'm doing this podcast with you which is lovely oh. um and so you know any any of those kinds of things I did mm-hmm. on Instagram the first few weeks that we were locked down I did book recommendations um I did a couple of giveaways so, so some of those conferences that were canceled they did virtually sort of through Facebook where you can either do a live thing or you can post and, and then do a giveaway or something like that and interact with your readers in that way. Um, so I've been trying to use, I think, our social media mm-hmm. um, as much as I possibly could to kind of reach out to new readers um, mm-hmm. or even the readers that are out there. Um you know, doing the best that we can. I mean, everybody's kind of missed out on it, but by the same token, I feel like, you know, people are home and, you know, if they want to escape romance novels are great because you know they're going to end well. Right, um, <laughs> right. So there's none of that sort of anxiety of, oh my God, there there should be tension in your book, but you're not worried that they're not going to get together. It's more of like, oh my God, how is she going to do this? How are we going to get together? You know, and right. that keeps reading the book. Um so I think, you know, I was doing the best that I could to, you know, just use those kinds of venues, my, you know, um, um, to just reach out the best that you can from, from a distance. And I think with those those types of things that you were talking about, I think eventually there'll be, they will be integrated in the way that writers and authors in general try to interact with their audiences and to build broader audiences and, and readership in the end, because um I just see as post, I guess a post-COVID, post-quarantine 
uh, life, not necessarily going back to the maybe the huge meet and greets, but having a lot more virtual things um, online, you know, because I mean, I think people will still have residual anxiety over it, you know, I, 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 I agree. I agree. I think that I think I didn't know that Zoom existed until. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely um, I think these are definitely platforms that we can continue to use moving forward as long as as well as some of the more in-person live things as things hopefully get better over the next couple of years or however long this takes. Yeah. Speaking of platforms with this amazing new book you have out um, and I reading the reading the, the bio, you've given us kind of a, a glimpse into what the book is about um, culturally before you even started writing how much of like the world building is done before you start writing and creating like this world where these characters live and coexist? So I'm going to say not a whole lot, I think, <laughs> in terms of world building, because these characters do exist. Like, mm. you know, like mm. they, they live in the world, right? They mm -hmm. live in the world. You know, I live in the world. You live in the world. We live in the world, um, you know, I grew up here. I definitely straddled, you know, two, two, two cultures. You know, I ate uh, a full Indian meal, you know, every night with my mom and um, on the weekends. And then I was definitely taking peanut butter and jelly only to school. <laughs> I spoke my language at home. I spoke English at school. Um, <laughs> You know, we celebrated our holidays at home. And then we also, because my parents were like, well, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. We are Hindu. But I had I don't ever remember not having a Christmas tree. <laughs> we celebrated Christmas. <laughs> we went trick-or-treating. We gave mm -hmm. Valentine's at school. I mean, we did, we did Thanksgiving to the best of our abilities. Um, so, you know, I, I think in terms of world building, I'm literally just digging into not that it's not autobiographical not autobiographical in any sense um but my own experiences having been um an indian american mm -hmm. person mm -hmm. you know growing up here um that's kind of what i i uh tap into so, the, um, yeah, so you're just tapping into culturally what what you know basically what i know in china yeah. not and so given that you already have you're already immersed in this world you're part of this community you're you're um not even really shedding light on what it's like to be in that community so to speak because america is this sort of not really a melting pot but like a tossed salad <laughs> full of people mm -hmm. um so in give in writing your work and and putting these kind of cultural elements in there um is there is there ever any was there ever any pressure, particularly during the publishing process, where an editor or someone's like, well, you know, maybe this can appeal to some, maybe maybe you want to like scale down the quote unquote Indian part of this book and to try to appeal to a broader audience, or or that wasn't really an issue when you were publishing. You know, I will tell you, um, in my experience, not at all. Right. Um, I, I, I will say that I, uh, you know, my contemporaries, so other Indian American writers, um, mm -hmm. I know that some of them have had this issue, mm -hmm. but I think 
A couple of things happened. I think one is simply the timing mm-hmm. of when I happened to come on the scene. Right. So I think I came on the scene during a time when people were um, really trying to open their eyes to quote unquote diverse books type of thing, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, not 100%. Obviously, nothing is 100%. Um, I also give the credit to my agent and to my editor. So Rachel Brooks at uh, Bookends Literary and um, Brittany Lavery at uh, HQN. Both of them loved my book for what it was. And neither one of them ever said one thing to me about toning down the Indianness of it at all. That was never even a discussion. Um, and to be honest, I, I don't even know what I would have done if they told me to do that because mm-hmm. I would have been like, I don't even know what that means because yeah. to tone down something means to change who Sam and Maya are exactly. and that changes the book. And mm-hmm. that, that, then this isn't a book you want, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, not only did they not ask me to tone it down, but I, 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 I don't know if you've seen the cover. Did I send you a cover, picture of the cover? No, I might not seen the cover. Oh no! <laughs> oh, I never... no, no no that's okay. I can do I can do a quick Amazon. Oh, so if you look at the cover, whenever you get a chance, and if you're right, if I'll you're pull it up. Pull it up. look I'll... at the cover, what you see there are an Indian woman and an Indian man yeah, on two, a couch together. Two very brown people. <laughs> yeah, people. and let me tell you something. These are not photoshopped brown people. Right. So, right. Um, Harlequin actually hired these models to do a shoot, a photo shoot for that cover. Amazing. My, amazing. 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 And I give that shout out to them because of course, Brittany had come to me and asked me what I wanted on my cover and I didn't really know, but mm-hmm. I, what I did, know, I wanted representation, um, but I wanted representation of my book of my characters so if you look at sam and maya on this cover mm-hmm. they're dressed in jeans they're on a sofa i mean this is how i dress right um, two modern fresh contemporary looking I'm you know indian couple yeah yeah and you know when this when this cover came out um a good friend of mine sonali babe she like blasted it from the rooftops thank god for her she uh, and all of her Twitter statements that someone said was, wow, I've never seen an Indian woman in jeans on the cover mm. of a Wow. And, uh, and I don't, because a lot of times the Indian women are in Indian clothes, mm-hmm. which she's not done with Maya, but she doesn't wear Indian clothes every day. She's a baker. She wears, right, right. She, she grew up here. Like me, this is how I, I wear Indian clothes when I go to a wedding, when I have a function or, you know, but I don't mm-hmm. wear them to work. Mm-hmm. I just found like, you know, my Brittany said, what do you want me to change about this cover? And I was like, God, nothing. Like it's mm-hmm. perfect. Mm-hmm. No. So, so, you I think, so you definitely had a lot of input on what you, what your vision was for the cover of the book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, it's different because yeah. most most books I've seen, particularly, I don't know what it is, but lately, most books I've seen from writers of color have like these, I don't know how to describe them, like these kind of like shadowy, cartoony looking characters on the cover. 
that are kind of ambiguous. Mm. Um, but it, it sometimes it, it's not until you read the book that you realize that these are people of color in the book. Um, mm. but yours is very straight in your face. Um, hey, these are two, you know, this is the Indian American couple, um, modern, fresh. And I, I really like that. Wow. I really like that. Thank you. Yeah, it's a beautiful cover. I was very, very happy with that. Yeah. I think some of the other covers, um, like you had asked me what, there, one of the questions you sent was, um, what was the last romance you read? And I just got done reading Mia Sosa's The Worst Best Man. Mm. Um, and she has a nice illustrated cover. Um, but they but they have done skin tone on there, right? Because she has, um, she, um, I think we, I, I'm trying to remember because I was reading another book at the same time and I'm, 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 I hope I don't get it wrong, but I believe it's a Brazilian woman uh, mm-hmm. in her book. And, and you can clearly see that the, it, it's illustrated, but that the woman is, has darker skin and darker hair. And it's very mm-hmm. nice to be able to, to see all of that. So they're, they're getting better. They're working. Yeah. They're working. Yeah. It's a work in progress, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you said something about, um, you kind of did like a Twitter pitch. Can you talk about that process of the kind of Twitter pitch and how that got you the agent that you have now? So I did, um, and your listeners may be um, familiar with um, DV Pitt, mm-hmm. um, which is run by, I believe, Beth Phelan. And I, at the time, so I did this back in 2017, and she would do two a year. And basically, so this is still when Twitter was 100 and uh, what was it, 114, 120? I can't remember. It wasn't yeah, there. Characters. It was less characters than we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, and she, they, they hold a practice session like three weeks before. So basically, you boil down your entire novel to this 114 characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're like, there's one day. So the day of DB Pit, you can pitch it. Um, you can do six different tweets if you want, or you can do the same tweet six times. It's up to you, however you want to mix it up. Um, and you have from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And agents and everybody, they're all aware of all this that's happening. And they will tune in and you put the hashtag DB Pit on there. Mm-hmm. And so agents who are looking, they'll, they'll look. And if they, they're interested in your pitch, they'll heart it. And then you go and see who liked your tweet. And then you go to their site and you figure out like, you know, how do they want the first chapter? Like what they, what they want. Yeah, yeah. In, right. That kind of, you go from there. So um, I was really, really excited because I got like 18 hits that day. And while that sounds amazing, there are people who got like 100 hits that day. But, you know, <laughs> you only need the one person. Right. right. <laughs> so I got uh, so Rachel did like uh, did like it. And I, I, you know, of course, to all these people, I did send out what they this is at the end of April. I sent out what they requested. And about six weeks later, um, I heard from Rachel and she said, she was interested um, in my book, that she loved it. And we had a very lovely conversation. Um, and and that was it. And, and, you know, and that's basically how it happened. So I do encourage people. So D.B. Pitt, I'm sorry, I don't think I was clear, was um, it's, it's for diverse and marginalized authors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Beth um, Feeling runs it twice. I don't know if she's still doing it twice a year, but she was doing it back then twice a year. So um, I, that is definitely um, how I got my agent. So it literally took you from like six weeks from the time you posted that tweet to finding an agent. Wow, that's amazing. 
Well, I mean, not counting, you know, the four or five years before that, that I was like cold querying and going to right. to, to, to pitch things. And I learned how to um, verbally pitch. And so I would go to all these meetings and I would do my, like a, like an oral pitch, which I think is better for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I cold queried agents. I can't even tell you how many times and refreshing <laughs> your email. I mean, I literally stopped counting my rejections somewhere around yeah. 50. You know, oh. so I, but I think that's part of the journey. That's part of the process. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm working on my manuscript and, and trying to improve it and everything. And um, like I said, I mean, you can collect all those re- rejections, but all you need is that one right person. Um, and, you know, Rachel's been awesome. So, yeah. So for an inspiring writer, and when, they, and when I hear you talking about the rejections and having 50 or more before you get to the point where you're like, it's kind of going like full steam ahead. Um, how do you kind of like push through that, through those those things, those ideas of rejection? Because I think people take it personally. Like they don't like me. They don't like my work. It just might not be what they're looking for right now in their house. Right. You know? But how do, right. how do you, you kind of push through that kind of rejection? Say, okay, it's not, it's, it's not me. It's them <laughs> basically. Well, I think, I think that that's exactly what you have to think. I think you have to, um, you have you have to believe. I don't mean to sound like a quote, but you have to believe in yourself and in your work. Mm-hmm. And if you believe in yourself and in your work, then you can push through those rejections. I'm not saying that I didn't cry. And that my girls didn't have to like drag me to the bar and be and you know, shove martinis down my throat every once in a while. <laughs> that did happen. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That did happen. You know, I'm going to quit. I thought like, you know, that you get those feelings like I shouldn't do this. This is the wrong thing for me to do. You have those feelings. But I think the important thing is to feel your feelings, you know, and then pick yourself up and mm-hmm. move on because mm-hmm. you wrote a book and you put your heart into it and maybe mm-hmm. it needs work. And, right. you know, sometimes, right. sometimes I honestly believe, and, and in talking to my friends and everything, sometimes it's a timing thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't tell you, like, I think one of the most, one of the rejections that literally sent me to, my girls were like, you need a drink, was like this three or four paragraph um, rejection where she went through and said, you know, I love Sam, I love Maya. Your character development is awesome. Your story is, is fantastic. You, you clearly have some writing talent, but I'm going to pass. And you're like, well, if everything is so wonderful, why are you passing? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, those are the ones that hurt. <laughs> yeah. Right, because you're like, well, I don't understand. So I think in those cases, you know, and, and I talked to one of my girlfriends who's a lawyer, and she always can always nail like the thing down. And she's like, Mona, they're basically telling you they, they can't sell it right now. Mm-hmm. And if they can't sell it, it's about the money, right? Yes. So if yes. they can't sell it, they're not going to take you on. Mm-hmm. So it's not that your work is bad. It's just that maybe they're not buying that kind of, that particular genre at that time. For me, mm-hmm. I think it was, they didn't know where to put an Indian romance. They didn't know what mm-hmm. shelf to put. Um, right. And that's not, and that that is not that is not a good answer. <laughs> and that's right. not what I said out loud. But that is not a good answer because you don't know that they don't want it until you put it somewhere and see if they want it. You put it with the romances under right. S. Right. That's what I. Goes <laughs> <laughs> under the romances under S with my last name. That's where it goes. 
mm-hmm. because people who are looking for a romance will find it. And it's not just the Indian people who want to read that because right. 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 I think, I think even though there's a cultural aspect to it, um, I think that there are people and I feel like you, they appeal to all people. I grew up reading white characters my whole life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and, and, and I will tell you, there were a lot that I could relate to and there were a lot that I couldn't relate to, Absolutely. but I read. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I, I definitely seek as, as a, someone who's aspiring to be published. I definitely seek out other writers of color across, you know, cultural, not just African-American, you know, I want Asian-American, I want, you know, you know, Indian-American, I want um, indigenous cultures. I want to read about all of it to have like a sense of, well, what does romance look like to you? Because it can look different. It can look the same or different, you know, depending sure. on, your, on your culture. So I think I think we're hungry for that. I think we need that in the marketplace. And I think there's, like you said, there's room for it under general romance. We don't have to be, quote unquote, segregated from the romance, you know, community no. to have success. So is that something you learned, gen- like, overall during this whole kind of publishing process? Is that the one, like the main takeaway you had from this? Or was there something else that was like bigger than that kind of lesson that, that you saw? You know, I, I will tell you, I didn't, I, I, I think I'm, I, I'm a very naive person, I think, to begin with. <laughs> um, but I don't think that I really knew that there was, quote unquote, like an African-American romance shelf. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, there are some places, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I just, to me, it's baffling because, you know, when you're like, well, where would I put this? I don't know. What's the author's last name? Put it with the A's. I don't, like, that's where it goes, right? <laughs> right. That's, that's exactly where it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess I didn't realize that not everybody understood that it just goes alphabetically mm-hmm. on the shelf, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that was something... Um, that I think I did learn. Um, and I think I learned it through the querying process. I think I learned it through the submission process when my, when my um, agent was sending things out on submission, you know, and it's not something that they say, we don't want it. They're just like, you know, they, they say no. And a lot of times when they say that you have a great product, but they say, no, I think what they're saying is they don't know how to sell it. Mm-hmm. And um and and this has come up a few times at a couple of conferences that I went to and me and myself and a couple other friends we asked this pe- panel of like publishers and agents we we're like well how do you know that you can't sell it if you don't put it out there mm-hmm. like how do you know that people don't want to read it when they've never read it before right 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 so let's maybe put it out there and let's see what happens mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what that is the, and I, I I'm not great on trends, but I'm going to use the word trend anyway. I think the trend is a little bit now that they are putting it out there and let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Most likely not to the degree that they they should be, um, but um, maybe maybe more than they were a couple of years ago. I hope probably a few years ago. Yeah, it's probably because you know putting it out there is such a gamble. And, and, you know, they yeah. want, you know, what's the return of investment, you know, yeah. you know, what, what am I going to get yeah. for putting this out here? Is it going to be, mm-hmm. am I going to have the next, you know, crazy rich Asians or is it going to be a flop? You know, so they, they, right. I, I think but those aren't the two, those aren't the two 
options though, right? It's right. because the white authors don't have blah, 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 or nothing, right? There's a whole team. There's all those other readers who will read it. Like, that's because you're not a number one New York Times bestseller that becomes a movie doesn't mean that it's a poor product and that people exactly. don't want Exactly. It. That definitely um, said. be shot it from the rooftop. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So mm. I, I think that we just, we keep going. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Absolutely. So we're talking about success. Well, what is, what does success look like to you? Like from, from this is your first book, you know, what, what does success look like to you? What's rewarding about this whole process to you? So I have to tell you, right. I mean, um, success to me is like, I got my book out, <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, like, that's almost like a, a lifelong dream. Like, you know, when I first saw my book, like my book, like with my name on it, and I opened it up, and these are words that I've written. And, you know, I have people quoting things out of my book to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God, and then, the, you know, the, the people who, you know, contact you, I you know, they review, but some people contact you on Instagram, like they private message you or whatever. And they're like, your book meant so much to me. I'm so happy that I could see like this brown woman in this and it's amazing. And you're just like, this is awesome. Mm. Like, this is great, you know? So um, that's what success is to me. I have another book coming out next year because Harlequin gave me a two book deal. So nice. I have another one coming out. It's called uh, Then There Was You, also with my Indian American characters. Nice. Um, next um, winter. And I think that's a win. I am currently working on my third book and I need to get a proposal together so that um, you know, I can um, get that thing together. But again, I've got my Indian American characters in there as well. So success to me is, um, you know what? I have this opportunity. I, I, I got my book out. Um, I, I'm excited that there are young Indian American and also non-Indian American, but just particularly Indian American girls and maybe boys out there who are like teenagers, they might pick up this book and they might see themselves, right? Um, Because I didn't have that. That was one thing I did not have growing up is I couldn't pick up like a science fiction book and have an Indian American hero or heroine in there. It just wasn't there. Now it's there and I love it. I read young adult all the time because I'm like, woohoo! Yeah, yeah. You know? but I, I, I love that pe- when people contact me and they're like, I'm so excited to see a brown woman in mm. your book. Mm. That to me is like, I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like a sense of um, responsibility, particularly in the romance community, because you're, you know, showing um, Indian Americans in this light to be sort of like a mentor or, um, you know, sort of a community for other Indian American women or men who want to be writers? Um, I mean, I would love to be. I mean, you know, I think that whenever um, people come before you, you look to them. So, you know, I look to the people um, who came before me, the Sonali Babes and the Falgani Kotaris and the Nisha Sharma and I'm sure there's a bazillion, these are the, just the people I know personally mm-hmm. um, who um, are doing um, very well. 
And, you know, I look to them for like guidance and advice. And mm-hmm. um, if, if there were, you know, a newer um, Indian American author and they wanted to hear from me, I would love to do that. I mean, if I could help anybody in any way, shape or form, I think that that's, that's wonderful. And actually it doesn't even go for any author. Uh, To be honest, it doesn't have to even be um, obviously Indian American. It would, it would, it would touch my heart, but any author Mm -hmm. of any color or whatever, you know, who's new um, and look to me and say, Hey, how did you get where you are? And look to me as a mentor. I, I would love to, pay it forward to them absolutely because I had I didn't only have Indian American mentors I have had mm-hmm. mentors of every different kind of race that there is um I it, from my local chapters and everything um women who approached me and you know on my very first meeting who were like hey you know maybe you want to get a Facebook page and I was like what and they're like why don't we have coffee and talk about this you know right <laughs> but I'm not published. Well, that's, that's why you got to get your Facebook page before you get published, you know, right, and, right. Uh, you know, things that I don't even know, you know, like, so I had a lot of those, I had a lot of authors um, of all different kinds um, help me along the way. And um, I would love to pay it forward to new authors. I think that's, that I think it's great to help sort of, Indian Americans and, and also all the authors of color, but mm-hmm. we're all romance authors, you know. Um, so I'm, you know, I was helped uh, by a lot of people, and I would love to help a lot of people if I could. Awesome. awesome. All right. So, Mona, this is the last segment of our interview. It's going to be kind of like a speed, rapid fire question. So, whatever the first thing that's on your mind, just give me that answer. You don't have to think hard about it. Okay. <laughs> we're gonna close with that. <laughs> um, all right so your favorite book as a kid oh boy um <laughs> charlotte's web oh that's a good one i love that oh. one <laughs> um <laughs> do you like writing heroes or villains heroes <laughs> um what are the hardest scenes to write love scenes or dramatic arguments Oh, the love scenes are always harder for me. <laughs> has, has, all right. Has there been a book that has been like the best book to movie that you've seen? Oh, you know, nobody ever does a good book to the movie. <laughs> the movie is, 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 is not bad and the book is always better, but um, I feel like the Harry Potter movies were done fairly well. Okay. Okay. Your favorite place to write? Um, I, now that I'm an empty nester, I actually have an office. Oh, nice. <laughs> Surrounded by bookshelves and my favorite J.K. Rowling quote. And I have everything here. So yeah, my office. Okay. So when you got your big book deal, what was your first like major purchase to like treat yourself? I didn't do anything. I put it oh, in no. <laughs> You should tell me something. <laughs> it's, a, it's in the bank. <laughs> well, you do have you do have college age kids, so I know that's probably you're yeah. probably thinking about that too. So I, I know, I know. <laughs> so, um, book reviews to read or not to read? 
You mean when they review my book? Yes. Like if they review it to read um, them. You know, I read them, but I really should not sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but I do read them. I've gotten better. I've gotten better because I, the, the bad reviews used to bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find that the good reviews make me feel so good that it's worth the risk of what the bad one might be. So mm-hmm. I do read them. I don't read them uh, maniacally. Like I'm not checking it every single day. Okay. Once a month, <laughs> once every couple, you know, when I think of it, I'm like, oh, let's go see what they said on Amazon. You know, but yeah. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's yeah. Mm-hmm. Last romance novel you read? Oh, uh, Mia Sosa's. What did I say? The worst, best man. Worst and best I'm man. currently reading, I'm almost done reading Love Her or Loser by Tessa Bailey. Okay. Music, does it help you write? Yes or no? Yes. What kind of music? Love songs. Love songs, nice. nice. Yeah. So yeah, the love songs kind of help me sometimes figure out the mood of a scene, even if it's an argument or something, and that's different. Is there a book that you wish you would have written? Um, Any genre, it doesn't matter. Book you wish you would have written. So many. So many. I did love... um, I did love The Fault in Our Stars, and I did love... um, I'm looking right now at the book thief. It's on oh, my book. Yes, yes. Of course, the entire Harry Potter thing. I, I just learned from J.K. Rowling by reading Harry Potter over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, I love those books. But yeah, you know, I, I, um, I'm trying to think. Nora Roberts. Mm. Anything, Roberts, man, she's amazing. Yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your favorite. favorite. Your favorite word to use in your writing? <laughs> okay, I have my first book. I had to take out the word furrowed because <laughs> furrowed. <laughs> I kept saying their brow was furrowed, and I you just had to. Do, I was like, clearly, this is my favorite word for this book. Um, <laughs> for them now, always. Um, but yeah. I, Okay. Somehow that was my favorite word to use in that book. It was very odd. Okay. If your book became a movie, who would you like to play the lead? You know, I don't have a great answer for this because um, what I would really like, and I've thought about this, if my book becomes a movie, I would like there to be an open call for for Indian-American actors. Somebody fresh. Yeah. Yes, somebody fresh, somebody Indian American. Because as you know, a lot of these Indian American parents are trying to make their kids go to sciences, right? <laughs> right. There's kids out there that want to be actors. I would love to give them the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where do you see romance novels going in like the next decade in general? Um. I think in general, I think they're here to stay. Um, I think we've had romance novels for a long time. I think a lot of small changes happen, you know, over the course of time to re- reflect society, you know, as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see them going anywhere. I see them getting more modern. I see, you know, right now you, you'll you see a lot of really strong women and, and um, that's kind of, 
what people want to read right now. And that's what people like to write. Um, and I really, really like that. Um, so I, I just see it getting to be more and more of a reflection of the society that we live in. I'm hoping mm-hmm. that means more diversity and, um, and those kinds of things. But I, I, I certainly don't see them going away because I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to fall in love and everybody wants a happy ending. And finally, when it's all said and done, what do you want your readers to say about the books that you write? I would like my readers to say that they fell in love with my characters. You know, I would like them to say that they left my book um, having met some real people um, and they enjoyed going along their their journey with them together. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mona. This was an awesome, awesome interview. I've like fallen in love with you and your work. And I was like, okay, I, I, I already, while you were talking, I bought the book on Kindle. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm going to buy it now so I, so I can read it tonight. I was like, I just, I, I trust me, I'm one of those readers that has like a book shelf and Kindle full of books. Like, and I'm like, okay, let me slowly work through them. But I was like, okay, I got to add it to my Kindle. I got to add it to my Kindle. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for this interview. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I wish you much success. Uh, with this book and the ones after it as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to be here tonight. All right. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Thank you so much to author Mona Shroff for our beautiful conversation. I feel like my soul was really fed from that. I hope you all got something out of that too. I really uh, felt uh, empowered uh, by what she was saying about pushing yourself and being an advocate for your work and pushing through the rejections. So thank you so, so much, Mona, for your conversation. I learned so much about you and your work, and I look forward to so much of your success. Again, you can find Mona on Twitter and Instagram at Mona, M-O-N-A-S-H-R-O-F-F, Wright, W-R-I-T-E, and her website, Mona D. Shroff, S-H-R-O-F-F.com. She's also on Facebook as well under Mona Shroff, author. Um, For our recommendations uh, for uh, writing and watching uh, romance this week. Uh, one recommendation also featuring another Asian American, and that is Kumal Nanjani uh, and Issa Rae and Lovebirds. It debuts this week, Friday, May 22nd, the day this podcast comes out. Lovebirds will drop on Netflix, and I am so excited to see two persons of color in a romantic lead, in a romantic comedy, in kind of a crime comedy caper romance. And I don't want to give too much of it away. It was supposed to come out, um, I think, in April. But, you know, due to coronavirus and everything like that, um, everything's been kind of pushed back. And, And luckily for us, 
uh, folks at home, a lot of things are being uh, streamed now. So a lot of things are coming to Netflix. And so this is one of those projects that was in the movie theaters and is now in Netflix. So thank you, Netflix, for bringing us Lovebirds. Um, I don't want to get too, like I said, I don't want to get too much away because it looks like it's going to be hysterical. But these two, this couple gets caught up in some kind of crime where they're framed for murder and they're basically trying to clear their names. And it seems like a completely hilarious romp and I just can't wait to see it. So this week's pick for watching romance uh, is uh, The Lovebirds. But before we go, there is a giveaway on this podcast. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. I'm so excited. Our very first giveaway um, in conjunction with Mona Shroff, we are giving away a copy of her book, Then, Now, and Always, as well as a few other little goodies. So go to our Instagram uh, uh, page, and if you see the post featuring Mona Shroff and her book, and you know you listen to the podcast because you're going to put the magic and secret word, which is blue jeans. Again, the secret word is blue jeans to enter our giveaway for Mona Shroff's then, now, and always. Again, you all take care. Be safe during this time of COVID-19. Again, we are sending our love to my podcast partner, Yakini, who is in New York. And, uh, Join us next week for another installment in a Romance in Colors uh, Writing in Color series. See you guys later. Bye. God bless.